This is a 720 to go podcast from Chicago's WGN Radio 720. This podcast is sponsored by ADM. As one of the world's largest agricultural processors, ADM is uniquely positioned to serve the world's growing needs for abundant food and renewable energy. ADM. When it comes to the business of America's farmland, you need the information from the people who know it best. That's why we bring you AgriCast with Orion Samuelson and Max Armstrong. Thank you, Roger, and good morning to you. Good morning to all of you out there, wherever you are in the world. Thanks to our technology today, we can talk to people in Asia and talk to people in the European Union and many other places. But most of all, we want to talk to you. And from now until 6 o'clock, our weekly get-together on the Saturday morning show, we'll talk markets. Uh, Max will check in with Bryce Knorr of Farm Futures magazine. We'll get another BASF crop report, but uh, still a very wet report. And I'll be talking to my good friend, who is a pilot and an author, Paul Wallum, about an event that happened in November of 1984 that Paul has put into a book entitled The Breakup. And it's the story of what really happened, according to Paul's book of interviews with dealers, what happened when J.I. Case bought International Harvester and changed the farm equipment world. A great book, great read, a lot of photographs, but we'll talk about that with Paul, and uh, we'll share it all with you when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. The book is called The Breakup. The author, Paul Wallen, who is with me now in the studio to talk about the book and what it's all about. And maybe I better begin with uh, full disclosure. Paul and I have known each other since the mid-50s, and we've worked together for a long time. We're two weeks apart in age. He's older than I am, so he's a little smarter, but not much. And then uh, the other point is we've uh, had the opportunity to do a lot of flying together, and he's Norwegian and I'm Norwegian. I think that covers it all, doesn't it, Paul? It pretty well does. <laughs> anyway, it's been a long history, but for the benefit of our listeners this morning, your book is all about what? Well, during the breakup of International Harvester back in 1984, excuse me, <clears throat> the um, all of the press and the books since then have all dealt with the manufacturer, but never with the dealers or the customers. And that's really what the book is about, listening to them being interviewed by me over a year period. Tell me about your experience with International Harvester since you started your career. Intern uh, back right out of or during college, I was an intern and went with the company for 13 years, ended up as worldwide export manager for farm equipment. And then I resigned to become a dealer in Belvedere, Illinois, and later added a dealership in Plainfield, Wisconsin. So your involvement really has been lifelong with the company that uh, suddenly said we're no longer a company. Well, it's fascinating to listen to the dealers I interviewed talking about the period in November of 1984. I was a dealer at that time. The dealers 
just some of them, they broke my heart when they talked about how difficult things were, and we were all living it at that time. I remember being involved in the meeting in Texas where the dealers learned about the fact that it would no longer be International Harvester. But the question I heard most often at that meeting was, what color will the equipment be? That night when we arrived at that Dallas meeting, the tractors out front were case colors, the cream color. The International Harvester dealers just revolted, and by next morning, by 10 o'clock, Jim Kettleson announced that after further uh, discussion, they had decided the color would be red. So before we continue, where is the book available? Where can people go to get it? They can order online at BantryBayBooks.com and click on The Breakup, and they can then buy it online. And uh, they can either do that or send a check to me at Paul Wallum, 3312 Andover Drive, Rockford, Illinois, 61114. Probably the most fascinating part of the book is your interviews with dealers, because you went all over North America to do that. Not only the U.S., but Canada, Sweden, the U.K., dealers who had been dealers, and some of them still are, uh, talked at length about their experiences. I usually uh, told them I'd like a 15-minute block of time, and many of them talked for an hour. What did you hear most often from those dealers as you talked to them now to do the interviews? Well, you know, they were living the experience, and we sort of compiled what their comments were. 27% of their comments were bad management, uh, 17% union problems, and competition, trailing competition by 17%. And they really knew what was going on because they were living, living the uh, period. And it affected not only them and their families, but also the employees at the dealerships that they had. In order to uh, bring back some of those memories, was it difficult for them, or did, did they vividly remember what happened at that point? They had such a clear memory, as I did, that uh, there was no doubt in their mind how they felt that day. Some of them said they got sick to their stomach. One man said, I felt like I lost my family. And not only the dealers, but the farmers that I talked to, the red customers through the years, many of them felt that maybe their equipment was going to be worthless or they could get no parts. But what has happened since? First of all, the machinery is still red. Very much so. And the red engineering that was in Burr Ridge at Hinsdale continues to be so dominant. And the equipment has really proceeded to hold a solid second place in the market. When Case and IH went together, uh, they it all turned out well. It really, really did. And now we're looking at equipment that we couldn't even dream about back when this breakup happened. Did they talk about tractors and combines and uh, tools and equipment that they really liked when they were IH dealers? Oh my, the majority of them said that the Axial Flow Combine that came out in 1979 was the finest piece of equipment and well ahead of competition that the company had ever had. And uh, the, some of the equipment, like the earlier hay tools, that they didn't like very much was very vivid in their memories also. Lack of research and development. 
One of my vivid memories, because I did participate in several new product introductions in places like Arizona, and uh, one of the things that that I recalled from that was the 2 plus 2 tractor. Tell me about that and the stir it caused among dealers. Uh, because of uh, the difference in opinion throughout the country, I asked every dealer about his opinion of 2 plus 2. And if you get the book, you'll see that the opinions vary widely. Some thought it was ugly. Some thought it was very modern. And nobody had a neutral opinion. One of our very good friends, part of the company, was Stan Lancaster. And wasn't he one of those? He had to sell the tractor, of course, because that was his leadership position at International. But didn't he say the first time he saw it, it's ugly? Oh, my, yes. And he did have to approve the money that went into that tractor. And uh, he was shocked when he first saw it, as so many of us were when we went to the announcement in Arizona, because it was so totally different from anything we were accustomed to. So as we look at this year, we're looking at rainy weather that is really delaying the work in fields. And uh, what kind of innovations have you seen come into tractors and tillage tools to deal with this kind of weather? Uh, Tracks, first of all, I would think. Yes, the quad track, for example, hugely popular. A uh, What was prior the Steiger tra- tractor is now red, owned by Case IH. And uh, it's the tracks just make a total difference in lack of compaction and working in wetter conditions. And where are we manufacturing the equipment now? Because some of the plants closed, but others, I'm sure, opened. Yes, uh, the Steiger or the four-wheel drive Steigers, which are now red, that still continues in Fargo. Uh, but so much of the equipment had, that used to be, for example, at Farmo Works in Rock Island is now at Racine. One of the things I've heard about this day in the equipment business is the impact that leasing is having for dealers because now suddenly they're winding up with a lot of used equipment. The used four-wheel drive tractors, the large ones, are a huge problem right now because four years ago when crops were good in price, a lot of people traded, and there are a lot of used tractors that have to bring two hundred and fifty to 300000 for a five-year-old tractor, and so it's easier to lease them than to try to find a buyer. And then let's talk about the foreign impact of this company because I know I've heard from dealers in California who have shipped combines to Australia and things of that type still going on. Used equipment is going overseas, uh, in, torn down, shipped, m- big market in particularly used plant, large used planters overseas. Very small market in this country for used large planters. Could you ever dream that we'd see 36-row planters or even larger? I can't believe it yet when I go to Farm Progress Show and I lose track. I try to count the number across. Is it 36 or is it 48? It's absolutely incredible. So back to the book, a lot of photographs. And you gave Max Armstrong and me a chapter in the book, and we appreciate that. But uh, again, let's tell everybody where and how they get the book. Well, BantryBayBooks.com is an easy way to do it. Uh, It's B-A-N-T-R-Y-B-A-Y-Books.com. You can buy it online that way, and uh, it's available within 14 days, as you can expect to uh, be able to receive it. 
have you worn out your signing hand yet, uh, or will you? Because you got to sign the books. You're the author. Well, I set up a separate room in the garage because of my office it was so cluttered, but I sign every book that I send out, and uh, I guess I'll keep on remembering how to spell my name. So how many more books? Because you've written a book on aviation, you've now written a book on a company. Oh, I think that uh, I'm slowing down along these lines <laughs> because it's been exciting. It's a two-year project, this book was. But um, I think we're probably getting near the end of the author stretch. I tend to feel the same way after my book, You Can't Dream Big Enough. But uh, talk a little bit about aviation because that's part of this book. And uh, you and I have been involved in that in one way or another for quite some time. Well, general aviation has been such a big part of agriculture. Uh, for example, back many years ago, I used to fly our customers over their crops so they could see them. And uh, you and I have traveled all over the country going to places where we couldn't have gone without a small airplane. And Cessna 210 that you owned and now is officially Air Orion in my world, still using it and using it a lot. It's an incredible airplane. When I stop and realize that you've had that airplane over 30 years, same owner, same mission, and uh, we bought that together back in 1984. It's been a wonderful airplane. It continues to be that for you. Well, thank you for sharing that with me uh, many, many years ago. But right now, thanks from everybody for sharing the story of the breakup the company International Harvester. You can read all about it in the book entitled The Breakup, written by Paul Wallum, Rockford, Illinois. And we're at 25 minutes after 5 o'clock here on the Saturday morning show, something unusual overnight. I looked at my rain gauge this morning in Huntley, Illinois, and no rain after midnight, at least, accumulated in my rain gauge. Temperature is 66 degrees, and uh, we need about uh, maybe four or five or six days of dry weather in order to get the crops in the ground. We're still working and worrying about getting it planted and uh, what it will ultimately do to the per acre yield of corn and soybeans and uh, that'll be a topic of conversation when Max sits down with Bryce Knorr of Farm Futures magazine on the second half of our Saturday morning show but unusual at least in my rain gauge to uh, not have anything showing up after midnight. A story, though, that is interesting and ongoing, it seems like forever, and that's the um, trade situation between China and the United States. And interesting this morning to see a story that says China's soybean imports from the United States rose in April, helped by an earlier easing of trade tensions with the United States. At the same time, imports from Brazil surged after buyers backloaded their March orders to benefit from a tax cut on agricultural products. China, which of course is the world's top soybean buyer, brought in one and three-quarter million tons of soybeans from the United States in the month of April. That was up 16% from the total that was imported in March. 
That's according to data from the General Administration of Customs. Soybean imports from the United States, China's second largest supplier, came to a virtual halt after Beijing slapped a 25% tariff on American cargoes last July in the trade war between the world's two largest economies. After the pair agreed to a truce on December 1st, then we saw limited buying resuming, and China has bought about 14 million tons of U.S. soybeans since then. But another 6 million tons of anticipated purchases could be in jeopardy as the China-U.S. trade relations entered deadlock again earlier this month. China in April bought uh, 5.7 million tons of soybeans from Brazil, more than doubling the 2.7 million tons in March. And for the month, China's soybean imports hit 7.6 million tons, up 11% from March, as buyers scheduled cargoes to arrive in April to take advantage of a cut in value-added tax on agricultural products. So that's where we currently stand as we approach uh, the end of May with uh, sales of soybeans to China. Not anywhere near what they were before the trade disagreement started, but uh, they have been doing some buying because they need the oil seed, and of course, they have been our biggest buyer of soybeans, uh, but uh, they have turned now more and more to uh, Brazil in South America, and to some extent to Argentina to purchase their uh, necessary soybean production that they use for primarily animal feed, but again, that has been uh, cut because of African swine fever. And we really don't know how many hogs have been culled in China to stop the spread of the disease that only affects, uh, does not affect humans, but affect hogs and is fatal. No vaccine yet to be found for the African swine fever. The United States has redoubled its efforts to make sure that we keep the disease out of the pork production units here in the United States. And so once again, as I've done so often, if you're traveling outside the United States this summer and uh, when you're on the plane coming back into the United States, the flight attendants will hand you a card And on that card will be questions like, did you visit a farm? What countries were you in? Fill that card out honestly. Don't do any fibbing or stretching because that's the one way we can keep that deadly disease for pork producers out of the country. So that reminder coming to you again as we come to the 5.30 mark here on the Saturday Morning Show. And good morning again and welcome back to the Saturday Morning Show with you until 6 o'clock news time here on WGN Radio in Chicago. Great to hear that weather forecast without rain today and that there was little or in some cases, my rain gauge, no rain last night after the forecast that we were getting. So uh, 
I'm going to be talking about something that's very serious and something I talk about a great deal when we get into uh, some of our activity between now and 6 o'clock. But uh, with a drier forecast, uh, maybe our daily uh, trip to Arlington Racecourse will be dry and the mudders won't have to run in the mud at least we hope so so but look forward to seeing some of you out at the arlington park race course today now we say welcome to samuelson says i'm orion this week with a reminder you hear often be careful it's dangerous out there be careful It's dangerous out there in farm country, something I talk about during summer holiday time, such as the Memorial Day weekend, because for most of us, it is a holiday. For farmers, not so much, especially if the ponding has gone down and the fields have dried out. They're going to be out working And that means you'll find slow-moving tractors and farm equipment on rural roads and highways. But something else that I want to talk about besides that when I talk safety. A farm lady uh, from Illinois who I've known for a couple of decades sent or posted a a Facebook uh, story this week that I want to share with you as the body of Samuelson says. And the only name I will mention is the name of the person injured. But here is that email. Last Wednesday, I said life can change in the blink of an eye. Cody was injured when the boom of the sprayer he was loading came into contact with a high-voltage power line, which caused Cody to take about 74,000 or 7,400 volts of electricity through his body. So the result is Cody is dealing with the amputation of his left arm below the elbow. There are plans for the amputation of his right leg below the knee and other injuries too numerous to mention, but to be quite blunt, He probably shouldn't even be alive at all. We've been looking for a meaning for this, and last night a friend of Cody's provided it. If we can prevent other farm workers, either from being severely injured like Cody, or even killed by telling his story, maybe, just maybe, there is a silver lining. And... uh, She goes on to write a very emotional posting on Facebook, and I share it with you again to bring home the fact that not only is it dangerous with tractor rollovers, with suffocating in manure lagoons or in grain bins, not only is it dangerous with tractor rollovers, but you've also got to be careful to not experience a situation such as this young person uh, experienced this past winter, this past week. And then after I got this one, of course, we get the story from Good Hope, Illinois, of a farmer being killed on his tractor as he was struck by a fast-moving truck 
being driven on the four-lane roadway. He was in the right lane. And remember, farmers do have the right to be on roads and highways in the country. So slow down, be careful, and uh, keep from getting involved in accidents such as this one that was experienced earlier this week. It's dangerous out there, so be careful. My thoughts on Samuelson Says, a presentation of Tribune Radio Networks. Well, standing by to talk about agricultural markets and what's going on there, we have Max Armstrong and his guest, Bryce Knorr of Farm Futures Magazine, and we'll join those gentlemen when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. It has been a while since we've spoken with Bryce Knorr from Farm Futures, but it's great to have you here to chat with us and to give us a little bit of insight. This is a big decision time for our growers as we watch these prevented planting dates move over the next few days. It, it isn't the same uh, in all areas. It changes with the geography, doesn't it? Right. Uh, some states uh, uh, to the south, are, that date has uh, already passed. Uh, other states, uh, it's May, uh, May 25th and then June 5th. So uh, it's uh, going to creep north pretty quickly or sooner rather than later. So growers really need to be uh, doing a lot of noodling on the numbers. Uh, fortunately, they aren't doing anything else, so they have time. It's a complex decision, though, and it's crucial at the basis of all of this, is it not to know what your production costs are. Right, and that's really the key. I just completed a county-by-county analysis of the prevent plant decision. And uh, most places, now these are averages, So, and it's a farm-by-farm, field-by-field decision, of course. But on average, uh, about 85% of uh, growers can um, toss in the towel, take prevent plant on corn, and cover their cash costs. Uh, they'll probably have to tighten their belt on family living. They may have to lay off the hired help if they have it, uh, but uh, they can cover their costs. What they can't cover, however, is the real economic cost of growing corn. Uh, only 4% of the counties looked like they had anything close to a shot for that. So it all depends really on how you figure your costs and what your costs are. If, if you're an older farmer who owns all of his land, doesn't have any debt, uh, it's a totally different decision from a fellow who's trying to expand, has debt, has a lot of new, new machinery that he's still paying off. Now, we've been watching this market climbing back up since Mother's Day, watching the corn market as it has responded. It hasn't climbed enough, though, has it? No, uh, I'm, I'm tempted to start uh, recommending farmers sell uh, a little bit of new crop corn, uh, but I've held off on that. Instead, I think it's important for growers to focus on pricing that old crop they still have in the bin. There's a lot of it out there. On uh, the June 1st inventory, will probably be about 5 billion bushels still left over. Uh, so we have to keep on selling the old crop, use this rally for that. And then if we can uh, get corn up uh, more in the, uh, I'd say, uh, December futures, uh, 435, 4, uh, 430, 4, 445 level, uh, then I might uh, start recommending some sales. But uh, the, the dynamics of the corn market look pretty interesting uh, here as we uh, get ready to start summer. But in terms of this decision on prevented planting, that level, that corn price is not high enough. No, uh, the the uh, uh, the uh, prevent plant, of course, uh, you know, if you're taking that, it's based on the 
four dollar uh, crop insurance price. Uh, if if you have to assume that we've lost some yield on the corn corn potential, that's going to raise your cost of production, and uh, so you probably you may uh, if if your yields are down. Uh, 10 bushels uh, per acre, 15 bushels per acre, you're going to have to raise that target price uh, more probably up in the uh, $460, $475 range. And looking at our calendar here, that is very likely. That kind of a magnitude of a loss of yield per acre in corn is not at all out of the question, given what we've seen in recent years as we've looked at yields versus planting date, correct? Uh, right, and particularly anything that's going to be planted is probably going to be planted in less than ideal conditions, too. Uh, and that's very difficult to factor in. What we've seen uh, so far on our feedback from the field feature, we have over 500 reports so far, growers compl- uh, noting very slow emergence as well as a slow rate of uh, planting. Uh, so the wet, uh, cold conditions uh, have the crop struggling. And a lot of folks, uh, you know, are uh, saying if we get a little bit dry, get a little bit hot, uh, the, the, the corn is going to have shallow roots and, uh, and may have even, even more trouble. Of course, right now the weather forecasts don't call for that at all. Uh, they continue to call for above normal conditions and, for the most part, uh, uh, fairly cool conditions, too. So as we began the discussion, I said this is a complex, difficult decision. You almost make it sound like, hey, this isn't that tough at all to, to decide when you're looking at the options that you have here, growers, and you look at the calendar, most of you don't have a lot of uh, choice here as to what you're going to do. Well, of course, uh, growers can always plant soybeans. And that, uh, that is the real $64 questions. And uh, I uh, have done some, some analysis that if you figure $2 a bushel on uh, tariff aid compensation, and if price, prices are low, so you're probably going to get a farm program payment under PLC or ARC. Prices go low enough, you'll even get a, a payoff on your revenue protection crop insurance. Add those together, and it's starting to look like uh, you can pretty much guarantee yourself a profit on soybeans covering all economic costs. And, but uh, the limiting factor is going to be the payment limitations on both the farm program and the tariff compensation. Uh, so growers have to, uh, again, this is yet another alternative and uh, uh, not, not completely ingest. Uh, yesterday I, uh, I put a, sent out a tweet saying, why not plant wall-to-wall soybeans? At this date... We're already shaving yield on soybeans, aren't we? Potentially, although uh, the evidence is a little bit less clear there as to what the uh, yield loss is, and uh, certainly not as dramatic as we see in corn. Right. Uh, you know, if we get a longer growing season and uh, some late season rains, you, you can really add a lot of bushels to soybeans, too. Uh, but uh, I know a lot of growers are thinking that, that uh, they won't be planting the beans in ideal conditions either. On the minds of the growers, though, in some spots, and I think of west-central Illinois, there's the history of uh, the 2018 crop, which was very good on soybean yields. That that would tend to encourage uh, those growers to go ahead and make the switch, wouldn't it? Right, and the, the uh, pace of planting is so slow in Illinois that you're talking about planting soybeans in some very, very good soils. And uh, farmers in Illinois have had good results on uh, soybeans lately.
Plenty of soybean seed available to make that switch in, in most areas? Well, I have uh, I did talk to one grower who was waiting for his uh, seed to come in from South America, so that could be a limiting factor as well. But certainly producers need to be having the conversation with their seed dealer and seed supplier, whoever they turn to for their seed, to make sure that they're uh, going to have it when they need it. Farmers need to be talking to everybody. They need to be talking to their crop insurance folks, uh, their seed dealers, And uh, the people they sell their corn and soybeans to, uh, the corn supplies could be getting short in some areas uh, due to the disruptions we've seen on the river system. And those don't look like they're going to go away anytime soon. Uh, St. Louis Harbor uh, may stay closed into the uh, first week uh, of June. And the uh, high water conditions are going to last on the river well into summer. People have been making the analogy back to the early 90s when we had a very, very wet spring, of course, and it was disruptive and did affect total crop production. It's hard to uh, make a perfect analogy with that period of time, isn't it, Bryce? Because it was a different kind of uh, extreme moisture, more limited in the geography, for one thing. Well, and also the the uh, time of year, uh, yeah. the rains came hot and heavy uh, during the summer Later. in, mm-hmm. uh, in uh, Iowa. And uh, I can remember the Farm Progress uh, show uh, that year before we had drainage and paved roads. Uh, we dumped uh, ton after ton of wood chips, and it was uh, like uh, like walking on a, on, a, on a ship going up and down in the ocean. It was so soggy. So every year is different, uh, but uh, if you are planting corn late, uh, you know you're probably going to be harvesting it late. Uh, the moisture levels could be higher, so you're going to need propane. And the good news, energy prices have pulled back. Uh, we have uh, wholesale propane prices out at the Kansas hub below uh, 50 cents a gallon, which is uh, as cheap as they've been in two or three years. Uh, so uh, now is the time also to be talking to your propane dealer uh, to uh, think about locking in those uh, supplies uh, because you're probably going to need it if you're growing corn. For people who think about analogous years, there might be a temptation also to go back to 1974, which, as I recall, was a late planting year, slow development, and an early frost. Uh, do you think we'll be uh, here not too many weeks down the road hearing traders talk about, oh, this crop isn't far enough along, we've got to worry about a frost on this? Well, let's see, Max. How long ago was that 1974 year? Because year? Uh, I certainly remember that one. One of the reasons why I remember it is because it's the only time that we've had a frost event that's actually affected yield. And it took not only an early frost right around Labor Day, but it took another one. So it actually took two events to actually do much damage. So when you're talking nationwide frost damage... It's, rare, big, it's rarely happened to rare, have a substantial but, impact. you know, the corn, you know, late planting, we had late planting in 95 and 96... And we didn't rally uh, prices much in 95, uh, even though, remember, we had that awful heat. Heat killed 500 people in uh, Chicago, uh, got hot enough in Iowa, the cows were exploding. and uh, But the, the market uh, didn't rally much. And as a result, farmers didn't have an incentive to keep planting corn and to really push harvesting everything that that they grew. And that set up then that big rally to record prices when we found out how small the crop was. Now, in 1996, another year of late planting, but we had $5 corn. Farmers had a big incentive to go, to go ahead and plant. So the market dynamics also figure into this.
What do you think about uh, pricing corn long term? Are you bullish? Uh, you know, if we do get a, a, a big time event, uh, then I think you start looking at pricing a couple years out. Because like you mentioned, uh, the farmers in, in uh, Argentina and particularly Brazil now can grow a lot of corn if they want to. Much of our discussion, I think, underscores in my mind the need to have around you as a producer, to have some trusted advisors to help you walk through this quagmire because the complexities are so great. So many pieces moving here at this time with the decisions that have to be made at planting. You really need a good team, don't you? It's uh, not even uh, three-dimensional chess. It's four-dimensional chess or five-dimensional chess. It's a very complicated decision. You really have to be crunching the numbers for your individual farm. And uh, like like I said, on on, on the corn prevent plant, it's a field-by-field decision uh, that you have to take a look at. It's very difficult, and you have to make sure you do have the best numbers and and analysis uh, available. Bryce, thank you for your expertise. We appreciate it. Glad to be here. Bryce Norr with Farm Futures. It'll be a different Farm Progress show later this summer with the mergers that have taken place among the companies that serve farmers. There'll be new names, new signs, new logos out there among the more than 600 exhibitors. It'll be the place for the producer to sort it all out. The Farm Progress show dates this year are August 27th through the 29th. The show will be back at Decatur, Illinois, the 66th annual Farm Progress show. Keep an eye on the website for updates, farmprogressshow.com. And let's quickly go back to Max Armstrong to get our weekly report on what's happening on farms, Max. Our weekly field report checking on crops out there, crop progress, crop problems with Kurt Martins from BASF, Technical Service Representative with BASF. First of all, Kurt, let me ask you, have you seen some emerged corn out there? Yeah, we've we've got a little bit of corn out there. A little, little more progress was made in the past week. One thing that occurs to me is for that uh, corn that is up a little bit, and even some that hasn't emerged, warmth sure would be welcome, wouldn't it? It sure is. We're, we're getting a little bit of sun. Obviously, our temperatures are, are starting to come up. So uh, when I'm out, in the, out and about, I'm, I'm hearing guys saying uh, that there's some pockets that if they could dodge a little bit of rain, that they'll, they'll be back in the field next week. What kind of chatter are you hearing from growers about switching over to soybeans at this stage in that area that you serve, western Illinois, northwest Illinois, northern part of Illinois? Growers are willing to stick with corn here for for a little while yet. Uh, still, still pretty good opportunity uh, for for corn, especially if they've got their their dry fertilizer down or the ammonia down or some herbicides on, and, and uh, so they're gonna they're gonna stick with corn for a little while yet. Uh, that's that's kind of what I'm I'm seeing in the field right now. What uh, kind of comments are you hearing about the weeds out there? And questions from growers about weed control. You bet. A lot of lot of corn in the windows that we've had. Corn and beans both have gotten in, and the weed control has been an afterthought, and I can totally understand that. Um, that does mean that we have to do some, some plan Bs. Uh, if the pre didn't get down, now we're looking at emerged corn, so maybe we're having to add an additional mode of action into the post-server side that, that we hadn't planned on before, so maybe adding a little bit of little bit of uh, clarity to like an Armazon Pro for an early post-corn application or in like in soybeans, maybe we're, we're adding residual to a, an Ingenia glyphosate early post application. And, and, and we talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago, but now that we've got a little bit more corn up, we are a little bit more concerned about black cutworms and I'm having, making sure growers are scouting for them 
since the field are full weeds, that is an attractant for those those moths, and and so that could be a, a, a target. So I'm also making a recommendation in those maybe those weedier fields that they add an insecticide to help with that. I've been in some wheat fields. We're getting ready to to spray for for fusarium head scab. Last year, when the the wheat fields up in northern Illinois and Wisconsin had a lot of head scab, and it, it's not a not an indicator, but those those areas end up having a lot of lot of northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot, and of course tar spot. I'm not saying that's an indicator yet, but but we're setting ourselves up for maybe a heavier disease pressure year. Some folks hearing you talk may not have heard before much discussion about tar spot, especially if they're not farmers. But this is one that's reared its ugly head here of late, and I guess we'll have to really keep an eye on it, huh? Yeah, I don't want to scare anybody yet. We're not. It's not that we're seeing it just yet, but but. Again, we've got maybe some precursors with all the precipitation and some cooler temperatures that got the disease going last year. So everyone's really, you know, we learned a lot about it last year. So we're going to be on the watch out for it. You mentioned the wheat fields. Of course, the biggest area of winter wheat production in Illinois tends to be the southwest part of the state. And you have uh, some wheat over through Indiana, Ohio, quite a bit of winter wheat down through Missouri. But I'm often surprised, Kurt, when I get up in a plane, over the fields of uh, northern and central Illinois, uh, those those wheat fields really jump out at you this time of the year, and they are out there. There are producers who put in winter wheat. Yeah, yeah, it's funny we're 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 talking about it, but uh, but yeah, there's a, there's a lot of value to it, just not the grain this year. Uh, we see we're seeing surges in the hay and straw market, so so there's a lot of value in, in the straw, and so it's, it's worth protecting this year. One thing that occurs to me, talking about weed control as we were, the grower really has to stay nimble in a season like this. Got to stay flexible. Got to stay flexible. Right? We're doing a lot of one-off programs just depending on, on the field, depending on the weeds in the field, depending on the, the trait packages that, that growers are planting in both corn and soybeans. So it's just uh, just got to ask the questions to the right people, and and uh, we can we can give the right recommendation for those fields. We're just just got to have the just got to ask the right questions. I hope you have a good Memorial Day weekend, sir. Thank you. You too, Max. Kurt Martin's technical service representative for BASF. Uh, just a reminder: markets are closed for the Memorial Day weekend, and they'll begin trading on Tuesday morning. But they'll be closed, of course, on Monday. And we went into the long weekend with some good price movement: wheat up twenty cents a bushel, corn up fifteen cents a bushel, and soybeans up seven and a quarter cents. Again, have a safe and happy memorial day remember the true meaning of memorial day and we do want to thank bob ferguson our engineer we want to thank you for listening and along with max i'm orion here on chicago's very own 720 wgn and wgn radio wants to send you on a blackhawks getaway for two in europe so listen to win your way to pucks and Prague beginning tuesday morning at 7 40 on wgn radio chicago Orion Samuelson keeps you connected to the world of business and agriculture on WGN. Hear his reports weekday mornings on the Steve Cochran Show and during the noon hour on the Wintrust Business Lunch. Plus, catch Orion and Max on Saturday mornings at 5 a.m. only on Chicago's WGN Radio 720.